Well, welcome everybody. Hello everybody. Um, well, start with say hello, first of all. Thank you for coming to um, the Fringe Theatre today for this uh, video game music uh, chat and discussion panel. Um, I'd like to introduce myself. I'm Evil Noob. Uh, you'll see some Twitter details of everybody on the panel here um, shortly, so do say hi. Uh, all my friends call me Noob. Uh, I do a podcast with my co-host Jamie uh, called Dork Tunes. And we thought we'd bring you here today to talk a lot about video game music with these guys. Um, so obviously I've introduced myself. So I'm going to pass it across to say hello. Introduce yourself. Uh, I'm, can you hear me? I can barely hear myself. Oh, hey, there I am. Hi. Um, I'm Tess Tyler. Um, I'm a video game composer, most notably for um, the Lego video game franchise. And I've done some interviews to Human Fall Flat playing um, the game called Dead and Buried. Hello. <laughs> I've got an annoying voice at the best of times, so amplifying it's a terrible idea. Um, hi, I'm Kenny Young. Um, I'm a composer and sound designer, uh, working on game audio, and I've worked on games such as Little Big Planet, Tearaway, Media Molecule, and um, since I've gone freelance, I've worked on uh, Astrobot Res Rescue Mission last year for Sony Japan Studio, um, and a bunch of other smaller indie stuff too. If you see me squinting, because I can't hear anything up here. I can't hear what I'm they're saying. Too. Something like that. I'm Joe Henson. I'm one half of the flight. We did uh, Alien Isolation, Horizon Zero Dawn. Most recently, we did the music for um, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, along with a friend, Mike, who's out there somewhere. Hello, mate. Um, and we're doing some, some secret stuff at the moment. Hello, I'm David, David Garcia. I'm the lead audio the in-house composer on Ninja Theory. I work on games like Hellblade, and I like to do as well some indie games like Rhyme, and I'm working now in a game that comes out on the 3rd of December called Arise. So. Well, thanks for the introduction, guys. So obviously we're here to talk about video games, so that's what we're going to do. Um, so video games and popularity, certainly the music soundtracks or everything like that. Um, I've something that I've seen in the last few years that you didn't really see kind of 10 years ago or, or even before that was games being released and having been co-released with the soundtrack. Um, certainly you see it a lot now with they kind of promote the vinyl of it, the CDs. We've come a long way, haven't we? Yeah, I think it's taken the industry by surprise as a whole. Um, uh, it seems like the indie labels, like the vinyl labels, knew about this mm. in advance. But the, especially the, we've been working with some quite big companies, I think they've been really taken by surprise. They were really shocked at how well the Horizon OST did, for instance. And it was like an afterthought for them. So it's, I, I think the industry, especially, we kind of knew because we come from records, that it's an exciting thing and worth doing. But really, the vinyl has been extraordinary. Yeah. And then maybe off the back of that, the, the, the industry is really kind of, with Spotify and Apple Music and the other streaming companies, it really has taken off. Mm. And the concerts too is extraordinary. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know what that says about what the industry thought about, <laughs> about game music. Um, it says something that, you know, they had this amazing resource that 
was clearly a, a, a demand for, but they weren't putting it out there. It was in the games, and it was front and center, but it wasn't available for people to listen to. Um, I think like there's a whole bunch of reasons for it. I mean, I guess that's why we're here. But um, one thing that seems kind of obvious as well is that the, the nature of games being much more um, intangible in terms of box product, mm -hmm. like that, that side of games is kind of on the way out. And so I think in terms of digital media consumption in general, people really do miss um, having tangible yeah. things that they can hold. So particularly in terms of vinyl, like, mm. I mean, this is all like, you know, theoretical assumption, but there's no science here. But it does feel like the, the desire to own a physical product is very much linked to the fact that people don't necessarily have boxed games anymore. So like that, that I'm sure that people like the music too, but there's like, there's... Um, <laughs> There's that, that desire to connect with something that you're really fond with is, is really strong. I think it's really interesting as well that, you know, most video game um, fans that I meet, that, you know, they're not just into the game. They're not just into the, the artistry or the storyline. It's just video game fans are into everything about the game. They know who did the art. They know who, de who developed it. They know who did the music. So, you know, video game fans tend to be super loyal, yeah. I think. And I think that is... That's the reason why I think that the mm. the sales of soundtracks have shot up such a to such a degree. Yeah, and and same thing is how how the the fans are on um, Twitter and on on social. They're really vocal as well. Mm. Um, and and you're right. The thing about the, the the brand loyalty when when people play games intensely. They love the music. Well, well, that was my favorite bit, and that was that was that was the bit of the game that made me feel amazing. And it's it's because games are a, an active form of entertainment rather than a passive one. Mm -hmm. They are part of 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 the story, and the music becomes part of their their story. Maybe something that I've certainly seen um, when you say about the fans being quite voracious is particularly around vinyl stuff. You know, those groups on Facebook and. They go absolutely mad for the vinyl, you know? Um, you see some releases get announced and then go on sale and they're gone. And then, say for something, for example, may, may retail at 40 pounds, a couple of weeks later, you've tripled its price. And it goes on and on and on and on like that. It's crazy. So, vinyls are a very beautiful format. And there is something about them as a ritual, right? I remember my father, listening to music and there was this sense of discovery when you listen to the vinyl and I think it's I, I just collect them I just bought recently a vinyl player it's been but even without it I just keep collecting them they are beautiful the art how you present the art is be I don't know the mm. colors it's just a beautiful format and it sounds special it's a bit more warm maybe than uh, digital yeah the kind of streaming kind of stuff maybe but, 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 but what was interesting was it has been the studios who kind of, at first, if you twist their arm, they may release it as a form of a promotion. Um, it's handy for the press and stuff. And then suddenly, you know, something gets two million streams on Spotify and, and they sell out. The, the final figures aren't, when you talk about sales, it's not like the old fashioned sales of CDs. This is, we're talking about 2,000, 3,000 copies. You're never going to sell 200 bar. It's going to be very unusual to sell 250,000 copies of a, of a vinyl like they used to in the old days. So, so it's, it, it's a different kind of 
people there's an exclusivity to it as well isn't yeah. there yeah and if you're a die-hard fan of a game you want to you want to get your hands on the vinyl the collector's vinyl yeah that, that's the other side to it too it's like obviously vinyl's a sound case but i'm sure the vast majority of people listening to game music are probably doing so on um, streaming services mm -hmm. which is the way most people are consuming music these days and the availability of those services are part and parcel of this rise of consumption and love of video game music because um, it's always been there actually getting hold of game soundtracks there was exceptions back in the day but it was unusual whereas now it's kind of expected that the game music will get a release and when it doesn't people are like what um, I think that goes to show um, and yeah so the streaming platforms make the, the ease of accessibility is a big yeah. part of it um, I remember David David Houston said last time that People were asking him about whether he would release the soundtrack or Thomas was alone. And he was like, well, why? Because I'd only sell like 10 copies. And then they did, and it's just, it sold out straight away. You know? So that kind of shows you really the kind of stuff that's been going on. Um, so something I wanted to hit upon as well was a, kind of around that, was around the production between kind of, I mean, talk about, I know we spoke before, and um, part, of a, part of Richard Jake said last time that he did a lot of his composing <laughs> for one of his um, games on the top deck of a bus going around London. And <laughs> noticed then, and we were all discussing that, and so seeing how you all do your things quite, quite differently, you know? I mean, how, how do you kind of pro pro approach your production of a title or, or pieces? Um, it depends on the deadline. Yeah. Um, if it's a fast turnaround, then, you know, I, I would have to be forced to go straight into my DAW. So I'm a Logic user, so I'd go straight to my DAW and rely upon my sample libraries to push out demos. And if it's lucky enough to get recorded live, you know, move on to that stage. But if I get my way <laughs> in terms of um, comfort for my process, I, I start with the piano or I'll just record, you know, I could just be walking my dog or something and you know, a melody might come, mm -hmm. come to me and I'll record that on my phone and, and, and then, you know, perhaps embellish that with harmony, orchestration in my mind when I go and sit at the piano and then I might go to, to my DAW, so. But so you actually, go back and listen to the recordings on the phone. Because yeah. I, I, I do the same thing where I, I, I like, <laughs> but I mean as, as part of your process, when, if I've got an idea and I want to like capture it before it disappears into the heather, I'll record it on my phone. But I find that that acts a bit like <laughs> when, I was, when you're at school revising, you like just like write stuff down because that's how you get it into your head. I feel the act of recording it into my phone cements it and I never have to go back and actually listen to it. Really? This, this might be me, yeah. Yeah, I mean... But my I, phone's full of... It's like a, a commitment as, as soon as you press yeah. record. There's something yeah. about knowing that you've done it. makes I, you relax and then you remember it. I don't know. No, I, t no, I totally know what you mean, actually. I think when I first started using that method, it was, it was kind of nerve-wracking. As soon as, as soon as you press the record button, there is the sense of commitment, even your, though you can delete it. It's a performance all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. embarrassing um, as well. It's embarrassing because you're in Tesco's and you're going... <laughs> And then I come in and go, Alexis, listen to this, and it's. And that's why you should Normal do behavior. online. Shopping. In my head, I had the full arrangement. Yeah. It's something we found. I found a friend of mine's dictaphone once. It's a long time ago. I pressed play, and it said, "Rolling bass." 
bat beats. <laughs> we, in answer to your question, I do a bit of that. We immerse ourselves in the world that we're writing. We have as much visual information as we can, colors, even um, um, animations, animatics, loads, but anything we can. And we try and completely immerse ourselves in the world. I obsessively listen to music. If I don't have my headphones on me, I have a panic attack when I leave. I have to rush home. I seriously have to listen to music all the time. And I watch two, three films a day. And I, I, I kind of... Um, and then in the studio, we jam. Mm -hmm. We just play. And it's, it, most of our stuff is, is live, playing live. And when Mike was working with us, it was quite a shock for him. Because it can be quite aggressive when we're doing a fight. But we just play and record and record and record and record. And then Alexis make sense of it all and, 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 and puts it in order. But the, our main thing is as many people in the room as possible all playing and jamming. Would you do that if you were on your own? Sorry? Would you do that if you were on your own, just out of interest, if it was just you? What, play? Yeah, would you jam things out? Yeah, 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 always. Yeah. No, no, we, um, I would put a beat down or start or something and I would pick up an instrument and I would just play. I, I, don't, I, I don't know any musical theory. I've just lost all loads of gigs. No, I, I don't know any <laughs> musical theory at all. Um, it's all done by, by ear. So everything I do, I just play and play and play. And then that will, yeah, it all comes together. So for me, it's super important that I'm involved as soon as possible in, in, the, pro in the project. Like there is a conversation at the very start of the project about music and it's not something that is predefined and they give you a list and say, ah, oh, you need to do 60 minutes of music. So you can have an, op an opinion and so as soon as you have information and as well a lot of visuals the colors colors give you textures the shapes give you information about chords or harmonies i don't know you need lots of feedback and information about anything in the project story narrative gameplay it can be a speed that somebody walks yeah. or uh, the gait or the way they move yeah. when we were doing odyssey for a long time, both Cassandra and um, Alexios had the same walk animations. Okay. And and changing a walk animation can change. Yeah. You can slow down the how the perceived speed of somebody. Yeah. It's really important. Yeah, correct. And so when I have a clear idea of what I want, I'm, I'm a piano player. I just studied piano, so I just sit in the piano. I play for a long, long time until I find themes, and then after that, it's just orchestration and pure work, hard work, work and work and work. Say there's um, sort of an interesting phenomenon that happens um, when you, you might think that a lot of the time you're sort of scoring game footage, because quite often you won't, as a composer, you don't always have um, builds of the game, but you've usually got a video to sort of work with. But of course, it's not the finished game and it can be quite sort of sketchy in work in progress. And so one of the difficult things is stopping yourself from writing for the video you've got in front of you. Because that's not actually the thing you're trying to make. It's representative of where it is at that point in development. And that's a bit of a a mind game. Because you that's where the information you're getting from your colleagues at the developer about what it is they're trying to do is so important because otherwise you just end up scoring some grey box level and everything sounds a bit ambient. And there are a lot of composers who find that very difficult, especially coming from film, where um, I know Harry Gregson Williams had problems with not working to picture because he wanted to hit beats and, and, and cuts. 
And when, you're not writing for that at all. You're writing for coincidences and things that seem to make it feel like on Alien Isolation, you were walking down a lot of tunnels. And it was really good if in a hallway, the music changed and it just happened to change as you went through a door. So you're writing for things that you imagine are happening in a lot of time. Because when I, when I've worked in houses as well, where I've hired composers, and for me, I used to try and minimize what it was I would send them in terms of games footage, because I knew that it was misleading. And I could look at it and be like, I know what will happen if they see this, so they can't have it, which is annoying, because you want, you, like you say, you want every stimulus you can get to inspire you, but it's important as well that it's the right, <laughs> the right stimulus. We wrote on a, a game a long time ago that didn't ship, and it was a side-scrolling, swords and sandals kind of thing and there was a bit in the video they sent us where they smashed down a door and go through and there was a huge thing that happened so we wrote this epic bit and she went that's amazing if that happens if that doesn't happen that's completely pointless so we ended up taking it out but it is you're right you have to be very careful about what you key off as well so another thing that is very important in music production for video games is like the implementation part of it so at some point you have music, but it's very important to know how it's going to work in the game. So you, when you compose, you need to be aware that things are going to dynamically change. So you need to create a lot of different millions of variations that can go one to other to another. So you need to know which parameters in the game or which information in the game can you hook up and say, oh, if the player is uh, going high on a mountain, like climbing a mountain, maybe as you go up and up, I can add more layers of the orchestra. And when it reaches the, this point, so you need to know height information, speed, whatever. So knowing all of these parameters can open or make you understand better what you need or what you can compose for that game, I don't know. Yeah, I, but, but I don't like to get obsessed. I like to know what it's being used for, but the system, I don't want the system to get in the way of the composer. So you have to really balance. If you obsess about the loops and, and the layers and the stems oh, and yeah, stuff, yeah, it yeah. can become overwhelming. So it's, it's knowing the system but then putting it in the back of your mind while you're writing. Correct. Being, still being able to think about Correct. it. Correct. But not letting it become, you have to Correct. The, the, the two of them. Yes. And you think this could flow. Out of interest, um, do you find it easier as a composer to score for something that you're involved in for a long time, for example, like Assassin's Creed, or like a shorter period, something like say you're involved in for like nine months? Depends how much music, if you're writing five hours of music, <laughs> A couple of years is really handy. <laughs> you know, just because from conversations like with um, Austin Wintry, Austin was involved with Journey, for example, that was something like three years. So he was really it depends. You know, quite deeply involved in that. You know, so he knew exactly what he wanted to create for that. So, I mean, how do you, can he, from it your side... It depends on what you're doing and the, your relationship with, with the... Um, with the developer, if, you're, if it's taking three years because they're being really difficult, mm. that's that's difficult. But it, it is lovely to come on really early on a project, and really, and, and it's one of the things I love about the industry. Is you are part of a team. It's not a, it's not a composer at home booting away at a, you know three months on a film. You've got three years. You become part of the family, and that is one of the best things about the industry. I think. It's really important, I think, you know, for game developers to bring in their composer as early as they possibly can. You know, I, I don't know about you guys, but I just feel so much more comfortable working, you know, with the developers as, as early as, as possible, just so you can kind of, I suppose, get to know, get to know them, get yeah, to understand what the project's really about. And, you know, obviously, we just want to do the best job possible and be 
it's such an immersive art form. We have to immerse ourselves. Um, it always takes time for ideas to sort of percolate and form. So yeah, we have to get it wrong before it, we get it right. Yeah, a lot and of you the don't time. have to be, you know, doing any work. You can just be exposed to the game at early periods, so you can soak up the whatever it is at that point, have those discussions, and then go away and sleep on it or however long. And then when you come back to it, you've already had a few epiphanies, whenever it was. That's one thing I was going to say when we were talking about the process. I, I Most of my ideas like come to me when I'm making a cup of tea. I don't know. I think it's at that point where you like, um, like in a ritual where you, you switch off your brain, you stop trying to think. And that's when something just sort of, you get a little gift from the universe. It goes, and um, that's it's a psychological uh, term for that. But, but, it, but it does, yeah, you have to make it's time for flow. it. It's like, yeah, so like... Well, it's, the tea certainly flows out from the, the there we cup. Go. <laughs> <It's> British. <laughs> but, but also, the, the, you can as well, as a composer, influence the game. So you can influence design. So if you're gone early enough, mm -hmm. you're part of the brainstorming stage. Yeah. And the game can change because of the music. And it, you, could, you could bring things out which they weren't even thinking about, I'm sure. So there has to be that communication really, really, really early on, you know, because otherwise it, it can be quite disparate. It also won't happen is the other thing is if you've got this amazing idea and you sell it into the team at the point where actually the game's basically done and they've only got three months left, which, you know, it does happen then, they're going to be like, that's amazing, let's do it in the sequel. So, you know, you just don't get to actually execute it because it takes time if you want to do anything that's kind of, you know, innovative or requires time from a programmer or whatever to actually create some new technology for this amazing idea you've had. Um, doesn't matter how into it the team are, at some point they've got to stop adding new features. And mm -hmm. um, if they're already at alpha, certainly at beta, then that's just not really an option. So the only way that you can actually influence um, something that requires that is if you're involved early. Cool. Um, one of the things I was going to touch on as well, and we have kind of touched on it a little bit earlier um, around the vinyl was you see, certainly I've seen in the last few years, you see um, new radio shows. There's like Jessica Curry has a new radio show on BBC Radio 3. You've got um, Lucy Holland's show on Scala Radio. It's insane quite how it's gone from kind of, you know, in the background. And, and we all know video games music isn't new. It's been there for 30 years or more. Um, but it's nice to kind of see the popularity of it kind of be getting to the that level but, but it, 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 it's only the past it could almost be two years I feel where people when I say oh I do music for games mm. they don't look at me and go what beep, boop, beep, boop. yes they, yes. they still up to you know in, mm -hmm. in the 21st century were thinking it was pong and it's they've only now I say I'm not right music people go oh yeah that's massive business yeah. that's, that's great and I you mean, have, on that point I was in Manchester last night, we were going to a gig and we talked to some people before the gig and I mentioned about today and video game music and he did, honestly, they look at like, like you've just got three heads coming out, you know? Then we did a concert recently for the Assassin's Creed Symphony. I've never seen the Hammersmith Apollo wrapped with queues around the block. It was, it was, it was I, don't know if you, I don't know if you were there, it was, it, it was packed. And, it, and also the most fantastic, supportive audience. Mm. It, was, it was extraordinary. It was and extraordinary. I saw that recently they announced, it was only even last week, they announced um, a couple of shows for Near Automata, the game. Already sold out, they've had to put more shows on. 
you know, I think the advent of the kind of live shows is something that is really kind of impressive now because there's a massive, massive, as we said about the vinyl as well, there's a huge appetite for it. You know, you see that quite a lot now. Games have quite a short, relatively short shelf life mm -hmm. as well, like two years. You know, and, and then maybe it lasts the, 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 um, the life cycle of the, game, of, the, of the console. So games disappear very quickly. And it is nice for people to be able to carry on living that experience. It's not going to air on television or stream on YouTube, but you know, you, it goes. And so it's really lovely for fans to be able to go and listen to the music from Assassin's Creed 1 at a concert. So it does help with that, and the vinyl does that as well. You can carry on living your experience. I think the other thing is that, of course, to put on a live show like that, you need, you need buy-in from the, the publisher of, of, of the game to sort of help make it happen. And like Joe said earlier, it's now game music is now viewed as part of yeah. the PR campaign for a game and its release and for um, community relations and all that side of things. So it's viewed as being something that they, they want to do and it's um, kind of a, a badge of honour for them that they can do that for their fans. Mm -hmm. um, but also, I think, relating to the, the, the radio shows as well, there's like an element of sort of, um, it's a cultural cachet to having a live show that is, again, it's that games are these intangible digital experiences. So to, to have something physical and real, which can be tied back to thousands of years of sort of human culture is something really powerful and potent. And so it, it ties into that sense of it being not just this weird little hobby, but actually something that is really meaningful to people and mm -hmm. it's, it's here. Yeah. <laughs> and it's something that people want to celebrate. It's a really nice way to do it. it I, I find it fascinating. I think the last the last live um, video game score I saw was Dear Esther, so the, the Jess Curry one. And I loved that game when it came out. And I, I kind of felt even closer to the game when I heard it being performed live. Um, and as we all know, you know, video games is an art form that immerses people. It is the most immersive art form that I can think of, really. Um, you know, having the, you know, you're inside the game. That's the, the objective. And kind of hear it being played back by live instruments. And that's one of the it things kind of draws that you're you saying even further. is people play a game like Assassin's Creed, they get so into it. That's like, people love Assassin's Creed. They love, you know, for example, I've got, I love, one of my favorite series of games is the Bioshock series. You know, I've got the tattoos, I've got the vinyl, I've got the, you know, everything, the little Funko Pops, all that kind of stuff. People just love it, and when they love something, they really want to immerse themselves in it. And that's why when they do, you know, a new Assassin's Creed or whatever, they want everything. They want all the things. I mean, a lot of the time, when, when I'm guessing you guys are the same, when we write, you know, we try to immerse somebody into an environment, or we try and create an attachment to a character or an event or leitmotivic work, that kind of stuff. And when you hear that, around you and you're hearing that being performed around you I think that just kind of enhances that connection even that even that little bit further yeah and I think people also form emotional connections when they're playing some games you know there are certain games that for me are really really quite personal maybe for the subject matter or the way that the story has been told you know um, you look at a game like that dragon cancer you know, it's a really difficult subject matter I know I spoke with um, John Hillman last year, and <laughs> through the luck of the draw, we, d we ended up having to do two interviews, because the first one, um, unfortunately, was wiped from my Mac, so I had to completely redo it. 
but I'm kind of glad in a way because the first edit of the show, um, because of the subject matter, and we were talking about it, and it's really personal. I could hear it in my own voice. I was like right on the verge of tears throughout. I mean, if you don't know that dragon cancer, you need to have a, a quick Google after the, the panel and uh, catch, catch up on that, because it's amazing. But I would definitely recommend to play it. I, I, th I think a lot of the, that emotional um, attachment, immersion, yeah, weird thing to say. In, emotional immersion, emotional immersion. <laughs> it's um, because you are controlling the character. You're you're, you're active, mm -hmm. and even if it's a third person, you are making those decisions. Mm. You are you are, and, and and also some of these games are over a hundred hours long, so you do become very um, uh, married to the character and, and the world. And, when we did Hellblade, we received tons and tons of letters from people with mental health issues. And there is one, we did a trailer with this thing there, there is one that says, I never, my, my father, my mother reject me, they never liked me, never, never. After they play your game, they finally understood mm -hmm. how it is to have psychosis, like, and for us it's like, it's like, Hey, slap in the face, man. It's, it's very powerful. We, we are in a very powerful media. Like, video games are incredible. I think sometimes people can almost see parts of their own lives in the games and maybe a solution to something that they didn't think about, kind of things like that. I think that's why people get so involved, you know, or so emotional about things. Or the opposite. I yeah. think some games take us away from things, it's a really, you know, it is yeah, exactly. a, a form of escapism as exactly. well. I you know, say games are escapism for people. Yeah, if I've know? had a really rubbish day, you know, switch on, home the, and on the switch and yeah. just, yeah, lose myself in Zelda or, it, you, it is a form of, I think there is an element of connectivity there for sure, especially where storylines of games are a, a little bit more real. Um, but, you know, there's, there's the other option of kind of taking us away from mm. our normal, mundane, everyday type lives, too. You said, um, someone said, you, um, the, um, yeah, see, seeing yourself reflected in, in, in the art you're consuming is, you know, is a powerful experience and it's important. I think that's also why we sort of, it's nice to see games being represented by, like, the establishment, you know, mm -hmm. with, with Jess's um, BBC show coming up as well. It, like, it's, on the one hand, I kind of feel we don't need them because, like, you know, we, we love games. We don't need the BBC to tell us that games are this, like, thing. But it, for that reason, that, that it's nice to see the things that you care about and that you're involved with being represented back at you because it makes you feel, like, a little bit connected to the rest of society, in a way. And so I think it's important for that reason, if for, for no other reason. But um, it's all... I often felt that the representation of games has been a little bit limited by, it's been on the terms of the establishment by what they consider to be um, acceptable from games. Um, what I was really encouraged by, um, all, all the assumptions I had about what the content was going to be on Jess's um, show, um, the fact that her second guest, uh, the, 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 I think it first one is next Saturday, 3, 3 p.m., I believe, is Ed Grant Kirkhope. <laughs> Um, and then the week after, she's talking to uh, Lena Rain, composer of Celeste, and you know, and that soundtrack's definitely um, 
not the kind of thing you would assume to hear on um, on Classic FM. Yeah. Although I think Jess has done her best to try and broaden the content that she plays, but a little bit hamstrung by the by, by the station. Um, and you would assume the same from BBC Three, perhaps. But it looks like she's got quite a broad remit there, and that's great because the thing about game music is that it is a really broad church, um, and it's just got so many different styles of music in there. Mm. And of course, it's got its own unique styles of music that are uniquely gamey, and um, that, and that's a really special part of the culture of, of game music that it's got its own stuff. It's not, you know, it's not aping other other mediums. It's, it does its own thing, yeah. and for all kinds of crazy reasons, some of them just historical precedent. But um, it's part of our culture, and it's really nice to see some of those things which perhaps aren't as interesting to someone who's not a gamer being represented um, to the world. And that's something that you said. A lot of the time, and Joe, you said it as well, people think it's like, when you say I'm a video game music composer, they think, oh, it's Pink, it's Pong. You know, and it's just not now, obviously. But also, um, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm? I just want to say, <laughs> like, 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 those early games are classics and they're iconic. So, like, I would be proud to be able to put any of those games, like, say, I did that. Yeah. That'd be amazing. So it's not a bad job. No. You know. I think <laughs> some, well, what I was going to say is that sometimes that when you say people that don't necessarily listen to video game music, I, I do that quite a lot. I'll send a friend, I'll say, listen to this piece of music and just send him a link. Send him a YouTube link, Spotify link. And they go, I really like that. You know? And that's... You know, I always say to people, you don't have to be a gamer to listen to video game music you know, think, at all. I think one of the things which strangely has helped is there was a point in game development where they were really excited because they could make games sound like films. Mm. So they started getting big orchestral sessions. Yeah. And the orchestra, in a way, has helped legitimize, in a way, for, for, for the general public, uh, the, the music of games. Oh, this is serious music now because it's got orchestras. And now we've reached the point where, oh, this is serious music because it's on Scala Radio and stuff. And I'm really looking forward to when it breaks out of that. I'm really looking forward to, there's been a little bit on Six Music. I want to hear mainstream. Radio One. I want to hear all the other stuff as <laughs> Radio well. Radio One, eh? I want to hear, I want to hear, oh, I wouldn't mind. I'd be great. Imagine if Radio One was put it on the playlist. But at the moment, it's still quite specialist. It has been amazing for Classic FM to mm. become modern and realize that this is a huge thing. But I'm really looking forward to. I often get calls. Have you got anything for our? We can play on on Classic FM. Not really. <laughs> oh, we do. But but uh, I'm not I'm I'm not that excited by that. I'm really excited about when somebody rings up and goes, Oh, I've got this. Daniel Pemberton, when he DJs, yes. plays the music that we did on a game called Zubo, which is the first game we ever worked on. It's, it, and that is really exciting. He's, he DJs at fashion shows and stuff, and he plays this weird bleepy music that we did. And I love that. That's, that's, that's exciting to me. Brilliant. So what we'd like to do now, obviously we're coming towards the end of the panel, so we're going to open the floor up to some questions, if anybody's got any. <laughs> there we go, first one. really, really loudly, because we've got no foldback at all up here. Can we share a... Yeah, have we got a mic somewhere? Oh, yeah, we'll just share that one. Thank you. Hello. Um, you're talking about Horizon Zero Dawn and um, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Um, how do you how do you get 
inspiration for two games that are completely in different time zones, one being in the past, one being in the future. Where do you get your inspiration from? What was the first game? Um, Horizon Zero Dawn. Okay. And because that's set in the, in, in the future and obviously back in the past. You've got two games that are completely out of contemporary settings. Where does the or inspiration come from to write those pieces of music? Uh, so, oh, there's lots of things. Uh, the, 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 for me, Horizon, well, for Alexis, who's, not, who's looking after his kids, um, he, he was really, he really keyed off the environment in Horizon. Really, the world and the robots and the, it was a beautiful game. Uh, the, this, the landscapes. I really keyed off the idea of these people are finding modern day technologies from now. They're finding these relics and they don't know what they are. So I was thinking if they found a harmonica and they don't know anything about the history of music, what are they going to do with it? So we made an orchestra of harmonicas. And if they found a guitar, they maybe don't know how to play a guitar. We did bowed to bros and bowed instruments. So I was keying off the junk that they were finding and, and, and thinking of that. And, it's, and that was one, obviously one part of it. There's a, there's a lot more, but finding one, one little thing. On Odyssey, we were, we were obviously looking at the history of music. There are no recordings from that time. So we did a very kind of deep, historical look at all the instruments that are influ uh, we have now which were influenced by the time there's one piece of written music from ancient Greece it's the oldest piece of written music to exist it's about that big so we looked at that and then we just we bought instruments that could have been made that time and we just played them again they're Spartans so they're quite rock and roll so we got electric <laughs> guitars out and stuff you find weird things like that I wanted it to be they're quite punk and rock and roll and, and they're tough so we were quite shouty, but also it's, I'm going too long, sorry. No. Also it's, it's, a, it's a single person's <laughs> journey to find their mother and to find their sibling. So it's a very personal journey in an epic as well. So, so we've I'll got you, time for later maybe- I can talk to you about that more. We've got time for maybe one or two sorry. more questions. No, it's fine, it's good. Anyone else? Oh, gentleman down the back. When you um, work with live bands, like, an example I can think of is Halo 2, where they had Breaking Benjamin in. How hard is it to direct and do you work with them a lot and steer them a lot to compose music for video games? Just thinking about... We can't hear that, sorry, up here. Just come up. <laughs> I was just thinking, um, when you have to work with like big bands like Breaking Benjamin for Halo 2, where you have to do a lot of direction and working with them. How long does it take when you have to bring big musicians into a project? I don't have any direct experience with that, but the closest would be, you know, I've supervised quite a few licensed music soundtracks, um, and I've had, I've had some things where I've hired people who are like a name, um, so I can only imagine what it's like, but the, the problem with hiring talent is that when you go to them and you say, we'd like to use you in our game. Well, first of all, cha-ching, <laughs> it's very expensive. Um, but because of that, you, you kind of need to make sure you're hiring the right person because you're not going to be able to direct them that much. Everyone's going to be different. Some people are probably great to work with, really flexible, but ultimately if you hire like, you know, Steve Vai or something, you just are just going to be like, 
here, here's an idea, Steve. Can you just like do your thing? And you're at the mercy of what they can deliver. Um, but the hardest part of any of that is actually getting to a point where they're in the recording studio. Because the, I can assure you the vast majority of ideas that people have ever had to hire someone amazing like that has probably just not worked out. So when it does happen, it's amazing. Um, time for one more. Anyone? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, hi guys. Um, I run the Spinner Side We Love Game Music, so I'm always tweeting about um, what you, you guys do in terms of. Closer? Yeah. So I'm always tweeting about what you guys do in terms of um, new soundtracks, live concerts, radio shows, and all that sort of thing. Um, when you touched on uh, Lucy Holland's um, show on Scala and the fact that Jessica Cole is now doing one for BBC Radio, um, I've also heard that the BBC Concert Orchestra are going to hold a, a concert at the World Festival Hall May next year. And I'm hoping that we're getting ever closer to seeing the BBC Proms have a concert on video game music. Um, what I wanted to ask was, um, if you were to um, ask to put a programme together for the Proms of, mu of music from games, something that would maybe resonate with people who don't necessarily listen to video game music on their own, or people who've never listened to it before, um, who would be sort of your go-to, I suppose your go-to composers, apart, apart from your own works? Sort of, I mean, <laughs> I mean, for me, like, I go to, I guess I saw, like, Nobuo Matsu, Koji Kondo, uh, uh, Jess Curry, Austin Wintry, but who, sort of, who would you have on the programme if you Gustavo. had a chance to? Gustavo Santa Olelia. Is that how you pronounce it? Gustavo Santo yeah. um, But I want him on stage, and I want people playing his instruments. I don't want to just see an orchestra. I would love to see Sarah Schachner with her cello and a group of synth players with analog synths along with the orchestra. That would be my dream, is not just orchestras. I, I just had an idea. Um, Life is Strange. That would be great, wouldn't it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, have, have those soundtracks played. I forget the band. Is it... Daughter, that's it, yeah, yeah, that would be amazing, that'd be great. And Kenny? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I've just put you on the spot, sorry. Uh, no, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna dodge that one, I, I don't know, I don't know. Um, so much amazing music, it's hard to say. Uh, like, I, I would actually defer and ask, like, I've only been to the prompts once, and it, it was cool, but like, I don't really know, if you, if you were to put on a video game concert at the prompts, people who would go, probably wouldn't actually be the proms audience, it would be the game audience. Mm. So I'm not quite sure who that's for. Um, and that'd be the first question to ask, because if you think it's a non-gaming audience going, it's a very different conversation to if it's a gaming audience going. So like, I don't know, and that's an interesting thing, because it's... Always ask him, because he's so good at going, breaking down the idea into actually sensible stuff. Brilliant. <laughs> well, I think what we've done now is we've come to the end of the panel, I'm afraid. Can you tell, can we, we're, we're, gonna, we're here. Yes. So it, it, we're, and, and we will be able to hear you if you come over and speak to us. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to hang yeah. around. I don't know if so you So if want. anybody wants to ask any of the guys afterwards, you're more than welcome. Come and say hello. Um, but finally, I just want to say a massive thank you to you guys for coming onto the panel and you guys for coming to the panel. So thank you very much. Thank you.